Hey guys, Texas Slim here. Uh, it is, uh, I believe it's Wednesday or Thursday. It's uh, <laughs> it's election week, and I think there was an election this week. I haven't paid attention. I'm back up in West Texas, and I love being back where my roots are. Uh, just um, in my makeshift studio, and uh, just got back from Luling, Texas, and I was able to do a recording with uh, Clyde Summerlotti. Clyde Summer Lottie is the founder and the owner of Two Bar C Ranch uh, out there in Luling, Texas. And we just pulled off the kill it and grill it, and we did a big old cattleman's feast. We had a couple of hundred and more people out. Uh, it was a fantastic evening, fantastic weekend. Once again, we pulled it off over a year ago. I said I was going to have four of these conferences, events, whatever you want to call them, summits, uh, last Last weekend was just a damn good time, a lot of great relationship building and a lot of great education. I was able to basically sit down with Clyde and see how he started. And he's one of the best geneticists in the Angus cattle industry across the United States and the world. So that's about what you're going to uh, be able to view here today. And so uh, enjoy this show. It's, uh, it's basically me starting to introduce into 2023, basically, what does it mean to be a modern day cattleman. Some people are going to take this and uh, run with it. Some people won't, but I think it's uh, kind of the source of the seed of what we're going to be doing in 2023. So uh, remember, we're trying to uh, get 100,000 people here on the podcast, on our Substack, texaslim.substack.com. We're out there to save children's lives, people. We are in control. We're not asking for permission. So sit back. Enjoy the conversation I had with Clyde. Clyde, much respect. I appreciate everything you do. Hey guys, Texas Slim here. It is Saturday, November 5th. Uh, we are here at Two Bar C Ranch and we're here with Clyde. Won't you go ahead and say your last name, Clyde? So everybody says it, you know, to say it right. I don't want to butcher it. Summer Lottie, but I get it pronounced a lot of ways. <laughs> well, that's what I was about to say. <laughs> How many times you get it pronounced in different ways? Uh, pretty much every day. Yeah, there you go. So you know, Summer Lottie. Just, just call me Clyde or just say hey. You betcha. Clyde, uh, thank you for joining us, This uh, the podcast, I Am Texas Slim podcast. Uh, what we're going to do here today is we're going to start from the beginning of, you know, your path into being a, one of the, the the best cattle men I know in the United States. Also, you're, you, you've, uh, you've been a partner with uh, Cole Bolton of KNC Cattle, and you guys are just uh, now opening up Hometown Meats. We're here today, actually, to do the Cattleman's Kill It and Grill It, the Cattleman's Feast. Uh, we're outside of Luling, Texas. So, Clyde, where do we begin? You're from Texas. You're from Gonzales, Texas. Gonzales, Texas. Grew up there. Uh, graduated high school there, then went to the University of Texas. Uh, got that degree. Wound up primarily in the insurance business for a long, long time. And uh, still have that business and I'm heavily involved in it. I've uh, been involved in agriculture all my life as a kid. Yeah. Uh, started out, our family uh, had a chicken farm. We raised broilers. Uh, we had cattle. We had some sheep. Um, my grandfather really got me into the cattle business by giving me my first cow and uh, told me I needed to learn some responsibility. So I think that was a good thing. Uh, through the years, uh, raised commercial cattle, had a registered beef master herd, 
moved back to commercial cattle, and then about 21 years ago, moved into the registered Angus business, uh, developing seed stock for other producers. Um, today, we have around a little over 600 uh, cows that we breed artificially or do embryo transfers. And uh, it's become a much bigger business than what it started out when I was a kid and when I first got into it here even uh, 25 years ago. Mm-hmm. And um, so it's it's an interesting business. Uh, there's a lot that goes into decision-making behind the scenes to get the end product that you're trying to produce. And we have end product from a breeding perspective that uh, – we have different markets and different people that we're having to address sure. their needs. Yeah. So there's a lot of planning and trying to develop genetics that meet their needs. We mm-hmm. have a lot of customers that uh, run F1s, which are Bramer Herford Cross, mm-hmm. and they're looking to add growth and marbling to their product. Um, they're not looking so much for low birth weight. Um, then we have other people that are looking for low birth weight to have calving ease. A lot of the uh, part-time ranchers, I would say, that are out there that aren't on, they're on a daily basis to watch everything every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, they want a they want a heifer bull. You know, they want a bull that's going to throw a fifty-eight pound calf. Yeah, and uh, they don't want a hundred and five pound calf because they may lose their heifer. Right. So it's. With all the EPDs that we have, uh, and, and the one thing about the Angus breed, I, I chose the Angus breed. There, all there are a lot of breeds out there, and they're all good. Sure, every breed has its purpose, and crossbreeding creates the heterosis we need uh, to get added growth, um, and then we just need to try to marry things together that are going to improve the quality of that end beef product. Right. And you know, that that summary right there is daunting to most people, isn't it? it? You know, it does. It takes a lifetime to become that type of uh, cattleman, especially in these days and times, to understand what is everything is involved, basically. Uh, by saying that, you know, we've had several discussions and we were talking about yesterday, you know, the path that you have to take to get there, you know, it is, it's a generational thing for starters. You know, you growing up a small boy in Gonzales, Texas, you know, you going through the university of Texas, you know, it's a, it's a whole lifetime of intelligence that you build up that, you know, a lot of this is being lost in the United States at this time. The average uh, age of a rancher right now in the United States is 68 years old. There's not not a lot of people coming into this space in this industry the way that you were able to come into it naturally and holistically. You were born into it in a way, but you evolved into even more, you know, the complexity of it, the intelligence of it, the genetics of it. That's what I wanted to, you know, kind of give a, a good outline of the importance of the genetics, starting from the source of the seed of that cow, basically, all the way until like what we were talking about yesterday, you know, you know, people say farm to table, you know, I just say from the genetics to the fork, you know, what's involved. And that's what we're going to do this year. We're going to talk about uh, starting from the beginning, starting from how do we steward that animal from the beginning in the genetics. So, 
you brought up EPD data. Uh, you brought up to me yesterday the uh, the catalog in which the Angus catalog has over 20 million uh, registrations in that as far as animals. That thing is a living and breathing, basically, uh, database. Yeah. And so let's start with the beginning. And, and what my mission this year is to be, let's, let's get people educated in what it is to be a modern day cattleman. Let's give them a good outline. And today, because we're going to have these, we're going to try to do one probably once a month as far as these podcasts. They're going to be educational. They'll be informative. Sometimes they'll be funny. Sometimes, you know, we'll, we'll paint a roadmap for people that they can, you know, follow along. So starting with genetics, let's, let's talk about that first. Why is it so important? Well, it's really important uh, raising, you know, stock that is going to the breeding program. Right. That's where everything really starts because we have to de develop genetics that can then be put out in with other breeds to create a better product for those breeds as well mm -hmm. if they're not doing their purebred aspect. And the majority of cattle aren't really in the purebred herds, but those filter into the food chain. Mm -hmm. And that's what's really, what's really important to be able to take um, the measurements that, that we take under the EPDs, uh, birth weight, uh, there's uh, like eight different growth EPDs. Uh, and what that does is it gives the person that is ultimately buying that animal sort of a roadmap sure. as to what is going to be expected. The expected progeny difference is what an EPD is against another animal. And so if you're breeding heifers, you need a low birth weight animal with a, with a high EPD, 10 or better probably on a heifer. Um, you wouldn't want to breed a heifer with a bull that is, has a birth weight of five and a half pounds above average. Right. You know, you want, you want to have one that's zero or, or lower and, uh, cause you don't want to lose a heifer. I mean, uh, but then you have to look at all of the other aspects of the EPDs from uh, the growth, uh, the um, marbling, mm -hmm. the ribeye, uh, and all of those, a lot of the measurements that we take are manual measurements that we take on the ranch that get fed into these numbers and turned into the Angus Association. So we measure the weight of the calf when it's born. Real quick on that, whenever you say EPD, for the people that don't understand what that means, let's break that down real quick, and then we'll go into from the very beginning as far as the measurements, the metrics, and that roadmap, because we talked about it. It's a three-year roadmap a lot of times. Yeah. Well, the expected progeny difference okay. is, is what we're talking about. So we, basically, if you have a baseline, and you're going to have animals that are on the line, and you're going to have animals below the line, animals above the line. Sure. And so those EPDs are a measure of, again, let's say the average would be an eight on a EPD for uh, birth weight. Mm -hmm. uh, you're going to have some that are a one. You're going to have some that are a 15 or an 18. Right. The higher that number means the more calving ease you have. So that's one measure. Uh, there are other measures. We, we measure scrotal circumference. We measure hip height. We go through ultrasound data 
all of our animals are ultrasound here uh, at one year old, thereabouts. So we, we gather data from a database that is generated by DNA, mm-hmm. okay? And those are projections. That's what they are. They're just projections. And these projections change every Friday. Every Friday, there's a recalculation in the American Angus database. And you just hope that you're going in the right line with the decisions you've made because they are sometimes three and four year decisions down the road. And you find out you got down to the road, end of the road, and you're not where you wanted to be. <laughs> but most of the time, if you just stay consistent, and it's really, uh, it's, it's really a math equation, mm-hmm. but it's not an exact math equation. Um, you could have an animal that would say is a four on an EPD for birth weight and a 10. So you add those two together and it's 14. So you're thinking you're going to get a seven. Yeah. That's what's expected. But the thing about genetics is it's just not the dam and the sire. It's the granddam and the grandsire and the great granddam and the great grandsire. Right. And as you go through time, you have two parents, then you have four grandparents, you have eight great grandparents, and this goes back. And so from a genetic standpoint, it is um, what do you get from each person that you go back to? Sure. As a cow. Yeah. Okay. And if you take it to a family, you could see a family that when I grew up, we had families that had eight or 10 kids. Yeah. Uh, We still have some of those, I guess, but uh, even with three or four kids, they don't all look alike. They aren't the same height. They're not the same body build. And that genetic that they genetics that they have in them is a combination of everything from the past. Sure. And it's all how that lines up. And it's the same way with cattle. So we have to, we have to measure that, quantify it. We then have to validate it, like with our Grow Safe program. Uh, we've got all these things that are projections, but then we take it one step further. Uh, we have a partnership agreement with uh, the Sanchez family and uh, Roland Sanchez family. He passed away. He's a great, great friend of mine. Uh, great family, really love those guys. And um, we, we got in business together with the Grow Safe with Hereford Feed Yard. And um, what we do there is we take it a step further. Mm-hmm. And this is more for our bull buyers, commercial bull buyers uh, down here in Central Texas, in that we're measuring the actual individual performance of that animal from a feed efficiency standpoint. And, and what does that really mean and what does that really do? Um, well, number one, if you have an animal that you have to feed uh, five pounds of feed, mm-hmm. to keep the math simple here, you feed them five pounds of feed to gain one pound of weight. Mm-hmm. So what if you can measure all of that in the animals that you have, and instead of five pounds of feed, it's four pounds of feed? That's a 20% reduction. Sure. Okay, so that, that's the concept of what people need to understand. You take a 20% reduction in feed means a 20% reduction in feed cost to get that animal mm-hmm. to be finished. 
it also means about a 20% reduction in greenhouse gases. Right. There you go. Because they're eating less dry matter. Right. So it it's really important from a profitability standpoint, and it's one and it's one aspect of what you should consider when you're buying a bull. Yeah. It it's not the only one. I mean, because I think when you look at um, from a bull perspective, the, you have to look at at a broader range of things, but different people with different breeds have different needs. And so these EPDs and projections give them a way to sort of have a roadmap to select something based on the direction they want to go. Right. And uh, it's just a tool. It is. It's a tool. But it's a very important tool. I mean, right now we have the internet, right? We have this database. It's 20 million, you know, something, you know, as far as those records. It, let's say 20 years ago, what were we using? Were we using catalogs? What was it? Was it well, being published in a way that's different now? Well, it's totally different because of the, the amount of data. Sure. I mean, that, that changes everything. Has more it improved? Data, it, Has yeah. it improved your efficiencies? Yeah, it does. Every day it does. Right. I mean, and, and you have to make these decisions when you're breeding animals. Again, I'm trying to breed seed stock, mm-hmm. which turn into animals that get dispersed, then later into commercial herds, mm-hmm. uh, which create the end product, which goes to the table. Right. Okay. And so to me, a consumer is looking for number one flavor. Yep. Uh, and uh, marbling is not necessarily fat. Yeah. Okay. So you have you have fat on an animal. You have the marbling. You have the size of the ribeye. You have a tenderness EPD. Um, so all of these things let you try to blend together in a um, an overall approach of what am I trying to achieve in the end product. Sure. And uh, if you. It, it can be confusing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, a lot of people don't want to go through it. I mean, we, we have people that, uh, the, old, the old fashioned way, uh, when my grandfather was, when I was a little bitty kid, uh, you know, they'd go look at a bull and I like the way that bull looks. Yeah. I mean, I still have bull customers that come and say, I like that bull's head. I like that bull's butt, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, that's all well and good, but you know, the, um, if you look, if you look at data and you have the data, and then you have the look of the animal, that's just a confirmation or affirmation of, yeah, this is what I really want to do. And uh, really good cattle people that have been at it a long time, they can pick out the animals sure. by by looking, but they can then verify. They really don't know how big is that ribeye going to be on that animal, right? But if you have the ultrasound data and everything else to back it up, you now can make that informed decision that lets you say this animal's worth more money than that animal. Sure. And uh, again, it's 
what is the end product that, that you want to achieve? Well, and a lot of, you know, we talk about it, we use the phrase, you know, hobby ranchers and stuff like that. And a lot of people, you know, like the idea of this, but, you know, the level of sophistication that you bring, the level of intelligence and information and craftsmanship to, you know, raising, you know, uh, heritage is what you're doing. You just reflected on a heritage of, of the cow. You know, how many generations does this go back? You know, what has transpired? What took place? It's a study in history. It's also a study in genetics, of course, but it's also a it's a roadmap to there where you can paint a, a future as far as how successful you can be. And a, a lot of hobby ranchers don't get into that depth of that information. Well, a lot of hobby ranchers uh, have a small acreage, anywhere from 50 acres to say mm -hmm. 200 acres or 500 acres even. And they're, they're doing uh, the agricultural exemption sure. from a tax standpoint. And they're really not that into the cattle, but they need to be. Mm -hmm. They really need to be trying to every day and every year improve and have a better product. Yes. It's achievable. And it does pay off in the end in the way of, premiums that you can get for your calves. And, um, but it takes a little bit of an effort, mm -hmm. you know, and a little bit of study, um, but it's achievable. And um, ranchers that retain ownership in cattle that go to the feed yard, they really should be looking for high growth, feed efficiency, big rib eyes, marbling, those things that create the end product that uh, the consumer demands. Sure. And so if you're retaining the ownership in the development of that animal, you want to have as many of those efficiencies as you can to improve the amount of money that you make at the end. Yeah. And, and or less money to lose <laughs> sometimes, <laughs> yeah. you know, but it, it depending it, on the drought, <laughs> but depending on the drought, you know, so, and, and we've had that here sure. this year, pretty bad. And, uh, luckily we got a rain last night, about an inch and a half. We did. Uh, prior to that, we've had about seven and a half inches since January. Yeah. So we've been pretty dry. We, it, it was a tough, uh, it's a, it's been a tough year. And once again, you know, uh, People don't understand the volatility of, you know, storing in the animal over that two to three years, you know, that you have to start from the, you know, from the beginning. And in this year was a tough year, you know, and, and it really creates issues. It creates opportunities as well. But the only way that you can turn, you know, these issues into opportunities is basically having the depth of knowledge that you have, Clyde. I mean, that's that's what it is. Well, and I try to translate that to people that come to the ranch. I I try to go through, my first question is, what are you trying to do? Exactly. What's your and intentions? What are your intentions? Mm -hmm. And where are you trying to go? And uh, from that, I try to guide people based on what they're, the feedback I'm getting from them. I try to give them feedback as to what my knowledge is that I think will help them. I think they can take it or not take it. Sure. But it's, it's really... Um, if, if they want to improve their end product, then they really need to pay a little bit of attention as to what data can do for them right. to improve the quality of their product. 
Hey guys, uh, I had to break in here. I, I had a story. I had to let you guys know. You know what I'd, I'd, I like to tell a story, but sometimes they're funny. Sometimes they mean something. Sometimes they're a little bit deeper than you you expect. And, but this one, I don't know. This is about being tough. Anyway, this is a story about Cole Bolton and a little bit of Jason Rick is going to squeeze in there. So, you know me, I've been kind of rough and tumble my whole life. Over 20 broken bones in this old thing you got seeing here. And uh, I got 14 pieces of metal. So, I think I'm kind of tough and all that kind of crap. Well, me and Cole Bolton, at the first of uh, us doing recordings together, well, we're over there at Marty Bent Studio, uh, Tells from the Crypt, right there at the Commons in Austin. And uh, I walk up to Cole and we're waiting because they were doing another recording. And I said, Hey, Cole, I said, You know what? I've broken 20 bones in my body. And I said, you know, and this is kind of cowboy talking and shit like that. So I'm sitting there trying to be all braggadocious and Cole just looks at me like he does. And he's like, well, Slim, as he does. And he goes, well, you know what? And he starts breaking into a couple of stories. Do you know that boy's got two replaced knees when he did that? I think he did it bulldogging, but he ain't going to tell you the truth. He ain't going to let you know. He's too damn humble. Anyways, he starts telling me about his damn feet. He's telling about both knees being replaced. He ain't that old. Just think if you had two replaced knees, you're trying to ranch like him. Oh, yeah, he's a professional team roper, too. Did y'all know that? Anyways, he roped some cattle out there in the Tespa plant. Have y'all heard that story? Y'all haven't because you weren't at the Kill It and Grill It. But I'm going to come up and I'm going to tell you about that story. I actually got a recording of Cole talking about it, but he he don't know it. But I got it. So, ha ha. Anyways, oh, Cole, he's got two busted up knees. His feet are busted up. Do y'all know where Earth, Texas is? Earth, Texas is up here in the Texas Panhandle. It's outside of a, a, a town called Mule Shoe, Texas. Yeah, Mule Shoe. Do you know what that means up here in Panhandle? It's called Jenny Slipper. You know what a Jenny Slipper? Well, that's a Mule Shoe. Anyways, Earth has got about 1,000 people. When he was going to Texas Tech, doing his whatever he was doing at Texas Tech, I'm a, I'm a Longhorn. He's a Red Raider. Anyways, thank God he's not an Aggie. But anyways, he's out there rodeoing. I think he was bulldog and he was doing something, but a damn calf got the best of him. Or was it a horse? But anyways, it slammed him up against something that was tougher than him. And all of a sudden, these two collarbones go poop and they break. One of them pokes on out of his skin. And here he is. He's got busted up. I think he broke some ribs, too. Y'all going to have to follow up. I know he's tore up his shoulder. Oh, both shoulders have been torn up, too, on old Cole. See, all I've done is broke my neck. Actually, I lost a digit, too. This hand's been broken. I don't know. You see that? That thing's been broken, I think, five times. You should see the other guy. Anyways, these collarbones have been broken, too. This arm's got a bunch of metal. And back here, I got eight pieces of metal. I broke my neck, and I got airlifted across the Rocky Mountains once. But anyways, here I am trying to be tough around Cole. He's got a collarbone that's sticking out of his skin, and none of his buddies are going to help him to the hospital. Lubbock's probably about 60 miles, 70 miles. That's the closest hospital there. So he's stuck there in probably cow, uh, cow shit, poor shit, bunch of dirt. And he's got blood coming out. He's got his collarbone sticking out. And he's driving a diesel that's five speed. Well, he ain't got access to these arms, so he starts driving. <laughs> to Lubbock, Texas with his knees, with two broken collarbones. 
The moral of the story is, is that the people that are involved with the beef initiative don't make a lot of excuses. There's not a bunch of malification going on with us. Do y'all know what malification is? Malification is actually the combination of rationalization and justification. We don't rationalize and we don't justify. And if you want to combine those two, we don't malificate anything that we do in our lives. Cole Bolton's one of them. Anyway, so I listened to Cole's story, and I said, you should see this. Well, how do you want to know how that got uh, taken off my digit there? Where did it go? Well, what story I do tell most people, though, is that, well, I spent some time in Japan. You know what they do in the Japanese mafia? They take your digit. That's not the story, but that's what I like to tell people in corporate America when I'm sitting at the boardroom with CEOs, because everybody always likes to stare at this. Well, the first time I looked at Jason Rich, he came up and he shook my hand. Guess what? He got a digit missing. It's his thumb. And if you know anything about roping cowboys, I said, well, shit, did you lose that roping? Because, oh, Cole Bolton, he's a team roper. Well, Cole's got all of his digits, but he's got busted up knees, collarbones, ribs, both shoulders replaced. Too. They're not replaced. They've just been rebuilt. His wings have been broken. But Jason, he's not a team roper. What he is, he's a Marine and a coal miner turned first generation regenerative rancher in the middle of the Norfolk Valley in Colorado. A lot of y'all know because you were there in Colorado at our conference. Anyways, the moral of the story is, once again, Jason Rick has got a digit missing. Kind of looks like that. Cole Bolton, he's probably got some scars sticking out because his, his collarbones were sticking out as he's driving to the hospital in Lubbock with his knees in a diesel truck because he can't leave his horse and he can't leave his saddle. You know that. You know how a cowboy works. We're always on the road. We don't leave anything behind, except his buddies left him behind and he had to drive himself with his knees in a diesel. You ever tried to do that? It's a bitch. Anyway, so we're sitting there. He tells me all these stories about how tough he is. And I said, well, shit, people are always telling me, Slim, how do you do this? And I said, well, the thing about it is, is that if I'm not working as hard as these guys in the beef initiative, these ranchers, these animal producers, these pioneers of the new beef industry across the United States and the world, then I'm failing. And I got to be as tough as I say I am. And I got some competition because those boys are tough. So if you ever think that we ain't got the fortitude, my dad, he, you know what he did? Whenever he raised me, he kept on yelling at me. He used to make me run like three, I think three miles was how we started doing it in the beginning. He'd get in the pickup truck out on the dirt road. I thought I was trying to be a cowboy. He was trying to make me a marathon runner. And he'd say, guess what? We're going to develop some intestinal fortitude. Well, I think it worked because I got competition. And guess what? That competition is all these other ranchers and cowboys that now are forming the damn beef initiative. We got some intestinal fortitude. We don't malificate. What we do is we extricate any type of deception within the beef industry. It's all coming together. Can you see it? So anyways, hope you're enjoying the wonderful recording with Clyde Summerlotti to Barcy Ranch. Let's talk genetics. Let's talk the source of the seed of the best pure animal protein in the world. This is going somewhere, folks. Back to the show. Next week, I'll have a different story. Hopefully, I don't lose another digit. By saying that, you know, I we get this all the time. You and I were talking yesterday. Um, it, it, you're willing to be an open book. And one thing that we talked about 
yesterday, and we see this all the time in ranching right now, is this ain't a competition here. What it is, it's a collective collaboration that you're trying to help people with as far as that education. And, you know, if we could, uh, if the general public out there understands that this isn't a competition, if the ranchers out there understand that this isn't a competition, that this is basically what we're doing is creating now in these days and times a modern day cattleman using technology, using that heritage, using that open book, you know, approach is saying, hey, we, we're educating each other here. And we got to educate the uh, consumer to know exactly what type of product they're going to get in the end on that fork. And that is extremely important right now because the general consumer across the United States and really across the world in the Western world, you know, where cattle is a big industry, most of the consumers are kept in the dark of what really is going on. And if they can take the intentionality of saying, hey, I'm going to attach myself to Clyde. And I'm going to learn from him. I'm going to learn from the beef initiative. I'm going to learn from Two Bar C Ranch. I'm going to learn from Cull with KNC Cattle. Now we have hometown meats. There's a there's a vertical integration there of education and basically, you know, from the taste profiles to the nutrition value to the health of the animal to the stewardship of the land. It's pretty much, you know, it's a lifestyle is what I say. And it's, um, it's a lifestyle that uh, I love. You know, <laughs> well, you're very good at it. <laughs> you know, well, you know, I, I, I'm a little older than you and I get up every day and I'd look for a challenge uh-huh. and how do I improve something every sure. day and, uh, have no intention of ever retiring. No. I mean, that's not in my DNA. Uh, I'm having too much fun meeting too many people. Right. Um, and uh, through all of my other businesses, as well as the cattle business. And in the cattle business, I've met some wonderful people all over the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, my second sale here, I sold uh, breeding stock in uh, 17 different states in British Columbia. Yeah. So that was a real eye-opener for me because, you know, the whole world has changed. And now we have the internet, mm-hmm. and we have internet marketing. We our our sale will be uh, December third here, um, and it'll be broadcast on CCI Live at one o'clock. There'll be people from probably thirty or forty states that hopefully will be tuning into that, mm-hmm. um, and some from out of the country even. And um, so, it, it's changed the way we market seed stock. Uh, I still enjoy going to sales, although I, a lot of times I'm clicking on the internet buying things. Yeah. But I really love to go to the sales because you miss the people when you're not going to the sales. Well, I grew up in Amarillo with the stockyards. You know, that's that's you know, and that times have changed. You know, we we sell and we buy differently. Uh, we interact with people differently. You know, we have that division of interpersonal communication that the internet has created for us. But it's the importance of you know people coming here to the to your cell barn. Let's talk about the cell barn. Here we are sitting in your cell barn. Uh, a lot of people have never seen anything like this. They don't know what it is. So let's kind of, you talk about the sale that's happening December 3rd here at T- 2-Bar C. You yeah. talked about CCI uh, as far as it's going to be broadcast. Uh, let's, let's just, let's say what, what the sale barn is. Uh, what, what's going to transpire on De- December 3rd? Well, what's going to happen actually starting on December 2nd will mm-hmm. be uh, the viewing of the cattle in our pens down here. 
we'll be selling over 200 head uh, of bulls and heifers and cows and pears. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, people will be able to come and view those. On Friday, we'll have a program. Uh, this year, it's going to revolve around a virtual tour of the meat plant. That's uh, last year, that. on our Friday Friday evening meal, we had prime rib and uh, fried asparagus and some other really nice things, and uh, it was a great meal, and we had a turnout of about 130 people that we fed dinner to that night. Uh, the next day on sale day, we fed about 325 plates of barbecue and brisket and everything that goes with that, and had a really good turnout uh, for, for that sale day. So. It on sale day. The sale starts at one. We're sitting in the auction block. This is where everything starts. Um, we then broadcast that sale on CCI Live. So mm-hmm. now it's going beyond this building and uh, to more people. And uh, it's really uh, it's a fun day. It's it's um, and we try to get in. And sale will probably last about three. The three and a half hours. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes it's a little less, sometimes a little more. Um, and then, then we load out. People take their animals when they leave. A lot of them do. And then the others we ship. We deliver pretty much everything in Texas. If we need to, we'll deliver it uh, free of charge to our customers. Um, out of state, we ship with a number of different uh, trucking companies that will take stuff either New York or the Carolinas or California. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so how much do you do? Uh, you do, you know, you do in the state, you do national, uh, break down the percentages of, of where all your cattle are going these days. From a, um, breeder perspective, mm-hmm. probably three fourths of my cattle go out of the state. Do they really? Yeah. Um, on the breeding side. Um, and then we have, I started a buyback program, for all of my bull buyers that buy certain bulls, I, I pay market price to uh, anyone that buys any of my bulls, and I buy other cattle from other people as well. Because mm-hmm. I have a pipeline, I have to fill up. Sure, you know, but they need to follow the protocols that Cole and I have established. Uh, if they buy certain bulls that I note in my catalog with a stake symbol, mm-hmm. I'll pay a premium for that animal. Right, and. Uh, which means that these animals are being purchased without uh, any kind of commission, any kind of shrink, uh, and a premium price. And that puts anywhere from 75 to $125 potentially more in the commercial cow guy's pocket per calf. Right. And uh, Not too many people do that, do they? No, not really. As far as the buyback. Well, they, a lot do, but a lot are buying it at market price and everything. But with the integration of the meat plant and everything, mm-hmm. I want to try to share some of that profit back to people. I, I, I want people to be able to expand their herds, get into the cattle business if they want to get into it, because it's a tough business to get into. I mean, unless you inherited a lot of land, uh, land prices haven't been going down here lately. They may do shortly for a little bit. I don't know. We're going to find out, aren't we? We're going to find out. (laughs) But, you know, it's uh, land prices are high. Uh, But it's it's a way of life and a way to raise your your kids uh, and teach them some of the values that are that I think are important. Mm 
Sure. Um, and um, I think it's just a, it's a good thing and a, and a work ethic that people take, take kids taking responsibility to do certain things, to teach them the right values to take them through life. It really is. I mean, we talked yesterday about, you know, people, you know, our society has changed in a lot of ways. You guys are, you know, you guys see this within, you know, you employing people. People really don't want to put the work in anymore. But if you're willing to put the work into your lifestyle, making the lifestyle something that's very, you know, something is as fascinating as being a cattleman in the modern age, you know, you, you connect with so many great people, you know, you, you meet people from all over the world. And, you know, I, I brought this up last week in a podcast is like the last several years, you know, I grew up outside of Hereford, Texas, you know, right there in Canyon. And so I've always been close to it and everything. And every time I've gotten away from the cattle industry, you know, I yearn to get back into meeting these type of people. You know, we get to do podcasts like this on a Saturday morning, and tonight we're going to have a big old celebration because, you know, you and Cole are opening up the the processing plants. Um, let's talk about your relationship with Cole Bolton of KNC Cattle. Okay, well, Cole and I have known each other for uh, a number of years, probably about eight or so. Yeah. Um, he was my banker. Was he? Is that how it started? <laughs> that's, well, that's how it started. Uh, his boss, uh, Patrick Johnson at Frontier Bank, is the chairman of the board there. And Patrick was my banker when he was at Chase and then at uh, First State Bank. And so as he moved on and wound up now at Frontier. Okay. And um, so I got assigned because Cold was the guy I got assigned to because I had cattle and Cole knew cattle, mm -hmm. you know, so that's sort of how that goes. Yeah. And uh, then Cole and I got to talking and uh, went on a number of fishing trips together. Um, and we uh, were looking at what we were doing with our herd, with our registered herd and my commercial cattle as well, and his commercial cattle. And he had started... Uh, about seven years ago, I guess it was, maybe not the exact number I'm not sure about, but he started his own form-to-table type program, and um, he said, look, I need to get some bulls that will get me an improved product, and so he started using my bulls, and from that, we started uh, working together, um, uh, buying some, we bought some cattle together, partnership deal, and um, then we, I'm sitting here looking at my purebred business and my, my commercial business and saying, I've got to figure out how to make this thing work in, a, in the big picture. Sure. And so the idea of we were processing at four or five different places. Uh, you know, my cattle were going in through with his and but we were having all kind of issues logistically mm -hmm. and from a packaging standpoint and not consistency from plant to plant and just sort of a much more difficult thing to manage than we wanted to. So, so, well, let's, let's go ahead and maybe let's see about putting a plant together. Yeah. And, um, uh, took us about 36 months <laughs> it did, uh, didn't it? to get this thing to where we got it now and getting it open. Um, uh, and it's, we had challenges with COVID. Um, uh, everyone has used COVID as an excuse mm -hmm. in all the supply chains. Some of it may be valid. Some of it, I think, is just an excuse. 
because uh, I think people's work ethic is is gone by the wayside a little bit with sure. all of this. Um, but getting the meat plant open was a deal to be able to take my cattle because I really even having a registered herd, only maybe thirty to thirty about thirty five percent of the cattle that I breed, and we're doing embryo transfers and artificial insemination and all of this stuff to create that added value, future better product. But even with that, they don't meet my criteria to sell as breeding stock. Right. Because there's there's a level, purebred breeders are looking for the stuff that's at the top. They're not looking at stuff that's below that or in the middle or mm -hmm. at the bottom. Sure. But those are good quality animals and and have a lot of those traits that are really definable and great for the end product consumer. And so I said, we've got to be able to be more consistent in what we're doing and expand uh, the operation. Uh, my son's involved on the ranch. We have about 11 employees here uh, today that work full time. And uh, my grandson is uh, in FFA and uh, getting really involved and I'm appreciative of his efforts and what he does. Uh, he works pretty hard. Uh, hope he's taken after me. But yeah. uh, you know, it um, it makes it uh, it makes it a lot of fun, and it lets us then take the these animals that I would say they're not inferior animals. They're just they just don't meet the criteria bar that I need. For well, the breeding. bar is already set so high on quality, anyways. Right. I mean, that's what you get to set as far as a breeder, as far as a cattleman, and everything. So to say it's not at the top of the list it doesn't mean really much, except what the intention of that top of the list is, right. all the way to the lowest common denominator. Well, the lowest common denominator is already set very high. So like you said, it's not a lack of quality or anything like that. It's just, you know, it just keeps that standard that much above the bar. You know, and so, you know, with the genetics that we, we develop here from the donor cows that I buy mm -hmm. around the country, uh, I think this year I probably, I'm up to almost 15 yeah. that I bought this year uh, that will go into our donor pen to be collected. Um, and, um, that's the next generation, right? You know, and it, it's, how did we, how do we go from last generation to next generation and, and have an improvement in the direction we're trying to take it from a final beef yeah. prospect. And the, that, that kind of reminds me, we were driving around the ranch yesterday and you were talking about your grandson. You just brought him up again. And, you know, that, that exchange of information and how hungry he is to, to put in work right now. You know, he's working, he's moving hay bales at, you know, nine o'clock at night, you know, with this truck that he can only drive on the ranch. Yeah. You know, he's 15 years old. He's about to get his license. Yeah. You know, exchanging that intelligence, you know, that heritage to the younger generations is so important right now. Uh, a lot of the things that I'm doing is because of that. The younger generations need to have a better opportunity to fall into and to pursue this type of uh, lifestyle. And, you know, Cole's the same way. He grew up doing it. You know, he grew up with the commercial side, and he kind of evolved into what you guys have. Uh, you talk about protocol. I talk about protocol all day long. 
what a lot of people uh, don't understand is what goes into that protocol. What they don't understand in really the 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 bottleneck of people's quality and nutrition within food is because of the multinational processing centers. Um, you and I spoke yesterday, uh, you know, on this topic. What what you're doing with Co, what we're doing with the Beef Initiative, what you guys are doing with Hometown Meats collectively, we're not really doing anything except saying we're going to do it this way because we know how to do it better. And we want to bring it back to the communities. We want to bring it back to where we were raised. We want to have the protocol that is actually something that you can verify from the consumer all the way to the cattleman with the, you know, with the, the, the basically all the data that we're talking about. I think the general public is does not understand the true bottleneck of the processing centers. Uh, the 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 freedom that it creates for you. We were talking yesterday, and I want I want everybody to understand as far as a producer. Whenever we have cow calf operations, and you know where do you sell? Do you sell to the multinational processing centers or somebody like you? Now you can go through hometown meats. You can actually steward your animal from the beginning all the way to the fork and you can actually be profitable, you know, and let's break down those numbers a little bit so people can understand the difference of uh, being able to use somebody like Hometown Meats or somebody, you know, as far as the multinational processing centers. Well, most of the people where where those cattle go, uh, they generally get sold at an auction barn. Right. Uh, no verification of what kind of protocols they've totally been through. So mm -hmm. you really don't know what type of antibiotics or hormones or all the things that can be done to cattle. Sure. Um, then they get mixed and matched and shuffled around and they go to a feed yard uh, and then, then they're processed and there's no real tracing uh, of where that animal came from or what it was fed. Right. And we're, what Cole and I are doing is we are doing an, an all-natural kind of calf, uh, eating grass, and uh, that lets that calf grow. We don't use hormones to stimulate growth. We mm -hmm. don't, uh, don't use antibiotics which makes it another another challenge for us. It does. Because when you don't have the antibiotics, we, we have a higher death loss mm -hmm. in calves. Um, so it, it makes it harder to do business, a little more costly to do business, but we're having a product that is a better product. It's far, far better in quality, and it sets the standard in a way that – now you get to you get to provide that standard to the general public. You don't have to worry about, you know, they can have their USDA prime labeling and all that kind of stuff, you know, that so many so many uh, distributions, you know, uh, entities manipulate today in the beef industry. We know well, that it, it can be USDA prime, but it may not be USDA US beef. No, it, it know, usually it, isn't anymore. You know, and those percentages are very high these days. And, you know, we were talking about, you know, having a processing plant down there by San Antonio. It was L&H, wasn't it? Yeah. And uh, how really, you know, you just really don't know where you're, what you're eating. It, it could be from Mexico. It could be harvested in the United States. It could, it could say a lot of things on the packaging, but 
in these days and time with the, the, the manipulation of our packaging and labeling and the multinationals, that's something that we're not even going to complain about anymore because we're just going to do it better. And, and that's, that's the freedom that we get to offer and create that new consumer demand. Yeah. And as we went through that with what Cole and I, our, our needs were, mm-hmm. it was not only what, what are our needs, but what are the needs for the community in the area? There you go. And so putting hometown meets together was a way that about 20% roughly of what is going to go through that plant will be coal in my cattle mm-hmm. and cattle that I'm buying back from uh, customers that buy my bulls. Sure. Eventually, we may get to 25 30%. Mm. Um, but then we have a customer base that has developed a lot of those guys who develop their own farm to table programs. Right. And I don't view any of them as competition. I view them as being able to feed people nutritious product. And everyone can develop their own niche of where they're going to sell and how they're going to sell. Even if if a person has 40 hit of 40 cows, mm-hmm. uh, they could start a farm to table program and be very profitable uh, in selling that beef. It just takes hard work. It really does. But if you get started in doing that, uh, talk to your family, talk to neighbors, talk to friends, uh, see if they'll buy some beef from you and get started. And, uh, again, it, it's being able to, uh, have that value of doing the full process in a family situation with the kids involved in it and giving them an education as to how do you run a business and how do do you make things work? We've lost that in our educational system. We really have. There's nothing in the educational system today that teaches anything about the real world of running a business and how to make, how to make it make, make money. Yeah. And just making money is not the most important thing in the world. I can tell you that. But if you're going to run that business, you need the fundamentals. And there's no better place um, to learn the fundamentals of life and the fundamentals of business than raising cattle. 100%. And that was one of the intentions of, you know, me creating and, you know, founding the Beef Initiative was to to let's let's get away from the institutional education. Let's get back to the, the grassroots education you know, let's get on the, let's get back to the ranch. Let's get back to the rancher. Let's give the rancher the voice that he doesn't have right now. You and I are sitting here, you know, and you're having a voice today. And and that's, that's what we're going to do as far as moving forward. And, and in moving forward, you talk about maybe the hobby rancher gets more intentional and gets more education. You know, the beef initiative is going to be that voice. You know, we have, I think, between 90 and 100 producers that have come in and placed their names. And if they have a website, maybe it's just a phone number. It is a location. Small herds, they're like all of a sudden they're not selling their herds. They're growing their herds now. So it, it's it's something that you, I knew that had to start grassroots in, you know, 
talking with Cole over a year ago, I could tell that he was somebody that was going to help me steward the beef initiative. And here we are a year later about to have a good old uh, shindig tonight, you know, um, this is what's going to be fun about this. This is a, it's a, it's a, it's a low time preference. We always, I, I think you, both of you and I growing up, it was delayed gratification. Yep. You know, it is that proof of work. Uh, you and I say this uh, phrase a lot. It's a, it's one day at a time. It really is. And, you know, getting back to that work ethic, getting back to that lifestyle, you know, putting the importance of the heritage of the, the cattle industry in the state of Texas, something that I know you're very proud of. I'm very proud of. And, you know, it's going to be an honor as far as moving forward, as far as the education that we get to bring, because it's not a competition. And, and that's one of our jobs to steward that mindset saying, let's leave the competition to the, the wayside. A lot of the issues that we're in right now is because of that competition. A lot of it is also is because the proof of work has not been done by the rancher, maybe because it was a lack of education. I don't know. What do you think about that? Well, I think a lot of people have uh, taken sort of the easy route, mm -hmm. and too many times I hear, still here today, it's less every year, but I still hear today, well, that's not what my granddaddy did. Yeah. You know, well, my granddaddy did a lot of good things, but he did a lot of things that weren't quite the way they ought to be. Right. You know, I mean, so... Um, You've got to change with the times, and if you want to stay in this business and be profitable, you need to be paying attention to the things that matter. Yep. And you need to be making decisions based off of data that allows you to be going in the right direction. And if you do that, you can be, whether you have 40 cows or 20 cows or you have 4,000 cows, mm -hmm. uh, when you're talking about feed efficiency and if you're you're dealing with developing 44,000 animals uh what is a 20% reduction in feed costs <laughs> depending on whatever kind of feed you're feeding sure. i mean uh mostly our 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 cattle eat a silage based which is a grass based mm -hmm. uh food and um but when you reduce cost you become more efficient, um, and th and that's what we have to do in the world today if we're going to feed the people that we're going to have to feed going forward. And so, uh, I think the marketing approach of farm to table by anyone that wants to get into it is a great thing. Again, I, it'll teach uh, the kids in the family the real important things of life and uh, hopefully get them going in the right direction to be uh, a lifelong, at some yeah. point, rancher. Well, we need them. And uh, what we're going to do, my intentions for, uh, for over a year ago was in 2023 is that we were going to start de defining and help educate what the modern-day cattleman is. And it's a, it's a new form of uh, food intelligence. It's a, it's a form of beef intelligence that we get to steward. We don't have to ask permission. Uh, we have the proof of work. We have the success. We have the vertical integration from the soil all the way to the fork, uh, you know, through the new processing center, which is extremely important that people really understand. 
And I always tell everybody, quit validating the deceptions within your consumption models of, of the beef that you're eating right now. Take a stand and say, I'm going to support the local people, do the local things. Basically, I'm going to eat from where I come from. If I can't eat from where I'm standing, then I'm going to reach out to the people that will help me with that protocol, with the understanding of the type of food and the type of beef that matters, that builds the community, that builds the family. And, you know, I'm, I'm extremely grateful and uh, tons of respect for you, Clyde. Um, let's talk about uh, today. What are we going to do today? We're going to have the Cattlemen's Kill It and Grill It. I think we're going to have about 150 people. That's what I understand. Uh -huh. you know, that, <laughs> I don't come, know the numbers. They're yeah, still well, showing that'll, up. That'll be... Uh, That'll be a fun evening. It will. Uh, and, um, and we get to do a tour of the processing plant. We'll tour the processing plant, I think, starting at 2 today. Sure. And that'll be a, sort of a come and go kind of thing. And then mm -hmm. eventually around 4-ish, four, I guess, uh, people will start coming out here. to the, we'll do a little ranch tour. We'll do a little ranch tour of the sale barn, uh, the pens, where we hold our, keep our animals for, mm -hmm. the, for the sale. Uh, we'll be able to tour the... AI embryo facility where we do all of that work. Right. Um, then our main main barn where all of our equipment is, and and uh, see some of the pastures that uh, are used for different purposes. You bet. Um, it, the ranch here is about 800 acres uh, that that I own, and I lease over 5,000 acres from other people in Gonzales County, uh, Guadalupe County, mm -hmm. uh, Hayes County. Um, got ranches scattered around, and uh, which is what we need to be able to run 600 plus cows. And um, those again are are done for the for the breeding side of it, and uh, it it takes a lot of work and a lot of effort and. Last year, we baled over 5,000 bales of hay. Mm -hmm. Those are big five-by-six bales. This year, uh, we baled less than 500. The drought. With the drought. And most of that was baled on a place I have in Hayes County where we have irrigation. Sure. So, um yeah, we needed rain. And, and we got some. And we got some. And, you know, here it is. It's in November. It's the 5th of November. Everybody remember the 5th of November, right? Uh, <laughs> uh, oh, uh, Jason gave me his little mask here. So November of November, the 5th of November, if you don't know what that means. But uh, we're, in a, we're in a fight. We're in a war of information and a lot of things. Uh, we're going to... We're going to play our own game. We're not going to ask for permissions and stuff like that. Um, everybody's going to be very curious now. So, Clyde, how do we find out about Two Bar C? Tell us, tell everybody where to go. And it, maybe people are going to want to come to the cell. That would be something fascinating for somebody to come and well, to participate. Yeah, you can go to our website, which is twobarc.com. Mm -hmm. Pretty simple. Yeah. Uh, the number two, not written out is TWO. It's the number two, B-A-R-C.com. Uh, that's our website. It tells a little bit about total history of the ranch. I need to be updating that a little bit. I'm a little neg neglecting myself. We got time. And, uh, you know, <laughs> but uh, talks a little bit about the family and my, my life in the uh, agricultural business. And, mm -hmm. and um, it's been a very rewarding business. Uh, it's a challenging business. Um, but like I said, with, with the 
genetic aspect of what we're trying to do here. Uh, math was my best subject when I was in school. And it is a math equation. It is. But again, it's not an exact math. And, um, but it points you in the right direction to be able to make more and a more informed decision, which maybe keeps you on the correct path of where you need to go. You betcha. And uh, if people will take that and, and use what's available, they can improve their herd, they can improve the quality of the animals that will go to the end consumer, and all of that's a good thing for everyone. You bet. Get to the source of the seed of, uh, of your nutrition. It starts, uh, basically, it could start for anybody on December 3rd if they wanted it yep. to. Um, I talk about what are your intentions, what is your intentionality. If you're going to be serious about this lifestyle, about your heritage, you know, we're talking about Gonzales where you grew up. Uh, Gonzales is the, the beginning of the history of the state of Texas. A yep. lot of people don't understand. That's where we're sitting right now. So it's time to basically, you know, the modern day cattleman. Uh, where did the cowboy come from? Where did what did the Texas cattle industry do? What was the first Texas cattle drive? There's so much to learn, and I tell everybody we're we're starting the new modern day uh, Texas cattle drive, yep. and we're going to go feed a nation again. So, and I always tell people, Clyde, um, go out there and shake your rancher's hand. So today, Clyde, thank you, sir. Thank you, Slim. Everybody else, stay tuned. This is going to be an ongoing series. We're going to start dissecting what it means, get a foundational understanding of how to be a modern-day cattleman. You don't have to have the 40 acres. You don't even have to have the 40 head. What you have to have is the food intelligence that leads to beef intelligence. Take care, guys. God bless. And um, if you didn't make it today, you missed out. So uh, we'll have more information for you, though. So take care. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed that uh, that recording with Clyde Somerlotti, Two Bar Sea Ranch. Go check it out. And uh, on that note, remember we're, we're never going to have any advertisements on this thing. The only thing is you can get is you can get those stories. So I hope you enjoyed the story too. Uh, every one of those uh, just pops into my head whenever I'm actually here talking. But what I want you to know right now is we are t podcasting 2.0. A lot of people are have downloaded the Fountain app. I am Texas Slim. You know, if you haven't seen uh, some of those first episodes of I Am Texas Slim, check out last week. We had uh, Parker Lewis and we had old Jason Rick of Rick Ranches and we introduced the Scholarship Trust Fund. Um, please, if you haven't seen the Scholarship Trust Fund, that's how we're going to give a pillar of strength to the ranchers. It's how you can help out. You can help out by going to beefinitiative.com. Go up there. There's a little hand. It's a little donations page. Beefinitiative.com forward slash donations. Let's get this scholarship fund going. Uh, the first scholarship recipient is Jason Rick. He's going to be down or up there, over there in Nashville, December 7th, 8th, 9th, 10th. We have a big shindig going over there. We got a Tennessee Beef Initiative Micro Summit. Uh, it'll be the 8th and the 9th uh, at Bitcoin Park. Beefinitiative.com, future events. Look at it. Uh, you guys go get your tickets. It's December. You're going to have any festivities? Let's do it in Nashville. Let's do it together. Jason Rick is the first recipient of that scholarship trust fund. How we're going to fund that is I put up one full Bitcoin. 
a little down right now, but it ain't always going to be that way. You guys know that. Anyways, if you don't know that, have faith because that's where we're going with Bitcoin. Decentralization, we're decentralizing our food and we're giving the American rancher a pillar of strength that they have not had since my great-grandfather's and yours. So let's take a look back, take a step back, let's take a pause. We're ready to go move forward in 2023. And what we're going to do is we're going to establish Jason Rick as the true educator that he is. Parker Lewis and Unchained Capital, thank you for the partnership, for the custodial of that Bitcoin. So you guys go to beefinitiative.com forward slash donations. Give it up. This is how you can help and contribute. Time, talent, and treasure. We are podcasting 2.0. You do get to stream sats. You get to boost sats. Gene Everett, look at you, man. 33,333. There we go. I think that's something like a no agenda might do. But anyways, you're up in the Northeast. I appreciate you, man. You're streaming sats on every podcast. Bubba, you're on here too. Thank you, Bubba, man. You've been here from day one. If y'all don't know Bubba, it's a Cool Beans Ranch, something like that. It's just Bubba on Twitter. He's the first guy that read my Harvest of Deception on that Substack. If you haven't subscribed to Substack, 100,000 people, that's what we're trying to get to. So go and uh, show some appreciation to Bubba. Follow him. He's driving across the country right now. And uh, he keeps me tuned in to most things that I need to be listening to because I'm plowing forward here with the Beef Initiative. I am Texas Slim all over the country, just like he is. Bubba, thank you so much. Here we've got, uh, also, we've got Joel W. Thank you for those sats. We've got KNSB22. Thank you for those sats. Nomad Joe, there you are again. We got Busted Canoe. You're there all the time, too. Bubba, once again, I Satoshi with you, 21,000 sats. Also known sats, WS. Thank you, thank you. At DW Duck, appreciate those. 1,000 sats from Fitfold Farming. Farming Hippie. Gotta love the hippie punk cowboys too. I am Texas Slim. Thank you for saying that. We're all Texas Slim. Understand what we're saying there, guys. I am Texas Slim. Are you? All right. What else? We got uh, some squawk. Uh, we've got a uh, spiral and we got Jordan Rickner. Thank you, guys. Keep streaming. You guys get to that donations page on the beefinitiative.com. Let's, uh, let's start establishing this scholarship trust fund. It's a new pillar of strength for an Amer American rancher. So it's going to be more than one rancher getting these scholarships. They get to design the scholarships on their own. Go check out that last episode last week with Parker Lewis and Jason Rick. Until then, guys, man, just keep plugging forward. Know that I'm out here and I'm hitting it hard. We got Tennessee, December 8th and 9th, Micro Summit. Get there beefinitiative.com for the tickets. And also don't forget U.S. Cattlemen's Association. We've got Brooke Miller reached out to me and said, hey, do you guys want to have a panel Saturday? U.S. Cattlemen's Association National Convention. They asked us on the stage. We're going to be there. It's going to be Cole Bolton, Jason Rick, Marty Bent, and a good old Matt O'Dell. Matt's in Nashville. He doesn't let a lot of people tell. He doesn't tell a lot of people that. So you, you guys come on. Let's get intentional. One thing that I do know is that whenever you come into the Beef Initiative, being somebody that's supporting us, or if you're volunteer, man, next week I'm going to have a list of volunteers that I'm going to list out. There's getting so many, I better catch up. It's not that I don't appreciate them. It's that we don't have time some, sometimes in life to show our appreciation. Well, I got something special for all those guys and gals that have been helping us with the Beef Initiative since day one. We know your intentions. What are your intentions? I know what my intentions are. So 
we're out there to save children's lives. If you doubt that, you're probably getting in my way. So anyways, Texas Sam, I'm up here in the Texas Panhandle. It's West Texas. It's my roots. It comes farm tough. It comes with dirt, comes wind, comes with the pioneering spirit. You guys do the same thing. You don't have to ask for permission anymore. Let's go knock the crap out of this. Let's do it together in 2023. Love y'all. God bless.